Thank you, Joanne. Invite you all to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament to the book of 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, we'll be reading verses 12 through 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we began our study of this book uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, by basically asking a question, and the question is, what are the things the Lord would have us focus on as a church? You remember I told you a few weeks ago that, that Paul wrote to Timothy to essentially give Timothy a blueprint, uh, to give Timothy an idea of, of the things that, that Timothy as a pastor uh, and the church there in Ephesus should be focusing on. Um, and, and so far we've seen three things. First of all, uh, we must be diligent to guard against false teaching and false teachers. Secondly, the goal of our ministry is love, not head knowledge, not to win an argument, but, but the goal of our ministry is that we would love God more and that we would love one another more. And, and third, and we saw this last week, we are called to proclaim both the law and the gospel. Both must be preached so that man and women, woman and, and children may, may see their sin, may see their unworthiness through the law, but then may find hope and peace and comfort and rest in the gospel of Jesus. Tonight, the, the great truth that, that I hope will be pressed home to us is that we need to carry out our ministry as a church and as individual Christians in our community, in our homes, uh, in a spirit of humility. Now, when I, I started working on this sermon on Monday, my, my plan was to cover verses 12 through 17 in one sermon. But there was a certain point when I knew there was no way, unless we stayed till 6 p.m., which I don't think you want to do, that we were going to get through all these verses. And so we're going to break this up in two parts. We're in no hurry to get through 1 Timothy. I'm still going to read the whole passage, but we're going to cover about half of it tonight, and then next time we'll cover the other half. So 1 Timothy 1, beginning at verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When you read your Bible... Um, there are times when you come across a person who, is a, who was a very unlikely follower of God. You read through the Old Testament, for example, and you come across someone like Ruth or Rahab, people that, that we wouldn't expect, at least from the outside, to be a follower of God. You, you come to the New Testament and you, you find a guy like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, 
most despised profession of that day. You come across the the thief on the cross who at the last moment of his life believes in Christ. And so there are all these, these unlikely followers of God in the Bible, but there is no more unlikely candidate to be a follower of God and a believer in Jesus than, than the man who wrote this book. The Apostle Paul, children, you remember, was once known as Saul. And he was a bad individual. He was a violent persecutor of the church. In fact, I want you just to listen for a moment at some of the things that the book of Acts tells us about Saul. In, in Acts chapter 7, you remember that Stephen is stoned to death. Stephen preaches a sermon, and, and the crowd is enraged against Stephen, and they drag him out of the city, and they kill him. Well, chapter 8, verse 1 says, Saul approved of his execution. Saul was, Saul was essentially standing there with his thumbs up. Kill him, stone him, put him to death. Chapter 8, verse 3 of Acts says Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Chapter 9 begins like this. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, in other words, followers of Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so this is a guy who approved of Christians being killed, wanted Christians to be killed, and wanted to have Christians thrown into prison. We would look at a guy like this and we would say, "Uh uh-uh, no way that this guy ever becomes a follower of Jesus. But it's always good to remember that Jesus didn't come into the world for people who were pretty good people. Jesus didn't come for people who, who just needed a little, you know, a little nudge to get over the finish line. Pretty good, pretty moral, pretty righteous. Just need a little bit of a push and, and they would get into heaven. Jesus came for the only kind of people there are, which are spiritually dead, lost, vile, helpless sinners who can do nothing, nothing to affect their own salvation. God saves his people by his grace and then he uses them for service in his kingdom. And and when we realize that, when we let that sink in, when, when we realize that essentially Paul's conversion is our conversion, when we realize the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the love that God has shown to us, when we realize that God uses people like us, it, it really transforms the way that we serve each other. Rather than serving from a, a proud, arrogant perspective, let, let me show you how much I know, let me show you how good I am. Rather than serving from that perspective or, or rather than serving from a, well, I guess I have to, perspective. We, we serve willingly. We serve thankfully uh, because the Lord Jesus has served me when I didn't deserve it. And, and so a passage like this should, should profoundly affect how we serve here, how we love our spouses, how we train our children, how we minister to other people. And tonight, we want to look at Paul's gratitude for what the Lord had done for him. 
And, and we want to consider two things. First of all, Paul was grateful for grace. And we should be grateful for grace. And secondly, Paul was grateful for the ministry that God had given to him. Uh, Paul begins this passage by talking about his life, who he used to be and who he is now. And his focus in this section is on his gratitude towards God. If you look at verse 12, verse 12 literally begins like this, grateful I am. Sounds like something Yoda might say. But, but that's how it literally begins. Grateful I am. When you, when you put something at the beginning of a, a sentence in Greek, it, it's placed there to emphasize it. It's placed at the beginning to stress it. And, and so by putting it at the very beginning of verse 12, Paul is stressing his gratitude. And, and notice his, his gratitude is directed somewhere. It's not just this generic, I'm grateful. It's directed towards one person, and that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Three days ago, we, we celebrated Thanksgiving. Uh, and, and this time of year, you will, you will hear talk, people talk about their thankfulness. Even, even unbelievers will say, um, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. But, but to whom, ultimately, is the unbeliever really giving thanks do they, do they recognize the true source of all of their blessings? Paul says here, I am grateful to Jesus. Are we grateful to Jesus for what he's done for us? And specifically, notice, notice what Paul is grateful for. He's grateful for the grace that God had shown to him. Children, do you know what grace is? Grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve, something we haven't earned. Children, if I walked up to you tonight and I handed you a $100 bill, you'd be pretty excited about that, but, but you would maybe realize you hadn't done anything to earn it. You didn't deserve it, but I just gave you $100. God has given us something way better than $100. He's given us salvation. He's given us eternal life. Paul is, is grateful that God has given him what he doesn't deserve. And, and notice he says specifically two things. First of all, he's grateful for saving grace. Verse 14, Paul says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. word overflowed is a very interesting word. The Apostle Paul often made up words that, that didn't really exist all that much before he wrote them. Um, one word means abundant, and, and the other word means um, over and beyond. And so Paul puts these two words together to, to intensify the meaning. And, and so when Paul thinks about God's grace to him in Jesus Christ, he says it's more than abundant. It's overabundant. It's, it's superabundant. Paul recognized there was nothing in him that contributed to his salvation. There was nothing in him that merited eternal life. He recognized that from beginning to end, it was all God's grace. And, and this is something that it is at the heart of what we proclaim as a church. We preach Christ 
We preach the grace of God in Christ. And this is a a constant theme in Paul's letters. In Galatians 2, he says a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, the very well-known verses, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Titus 3, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. We have to say the same thing. God saved us not because of works we have done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And as Paul writes this letter to Timothy, he is saying, Timothy, the Lord's grace to me has been super abundant. I can't even measure how incredible God's grace has been to me. And if we are Christians, we must say the same thing. When God saved us, it wasn't like he gave us a little bit of grace. Again, it wasn't like he gave us a, a gracious nudge. We've been doing pretty well without him, but, but now we just needed that extra oomph to get over the line. It, it wasn't like someone like Paul, with, with his background, persecutor, violent oppressor of the Christians, needed super abundant grace, but, but now we who are you know, pretty moral people, we just need grace light. That's not true. God's grace to you and God's grace to me is the same grace that Paul received. It was super abundant, overflowing, incredible grace. And and this grace, notice, isn't just something that is outside of us. This grace transforms us. This grace changes us. A person who has been touched or changed by God's grace is is not left the same as they were before. Paul talks in verse 14 about the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Notice those two words, faith and love. It's God's grace that that gives us the faith to believe in Christ, to, to embrace Christ, to rest in Christ. And it's God's grace that grows our love for one another that gives us a a love for Christ, a love for our fellow believers, a love for our neighbor. Paul was thankful for saving grace. Secondly, though, you'll notice that Paul's also grateful for calling grace. At the end of verse 12, he he talks about the Lord appointing him to service. Uh, Paul is essentially saying, "I'm, I'm in the ministry because Jesus put me in the ministry. In, in Acts chapter 26, um, Paul is, is retelling his conversion story. And, and in verse 16, he, he recounts something that Jesus said to Paul that day on the road to Damascus. It's not recorded in Acts chapter 9, but it is recorded in Acts 26. He says, Jesus said to him, rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a service, servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Jesus called Paul. He appointed Paul. Galatians 1, Paul is again retelling his conversion story. He's talking about his call to the ministry. And he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace 
was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul was appointed to the ministry. He was set apart to the ministry. It's not like Paul volunteered. It's not like they had a, they had a sign-up, shirt at, sign-up sheet at church one day and, and Paul thought to himself, you know, I could do that. I should sign up for that. No, Paul had been appointed to service, appointed to the ministry by Christ himself. And this was an amazing thing that Christ had done. Imagine, if you will, Christ saving the absolutely worst person you can imagine. And then calling that person to be a preacher of the gospel. It was an incredible thing that that Christ had done in Paul's life. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul recounts that the Christians in his day were saying this about him. They were saying, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Imagine the leader of a violently aggressive people toward Christians, the, the, the leader, a president of a nation or king of a nation or a, uh, someone in a nation who is persecuting Christians violently, then all of a sudden they become a Christian and then they become a preacher. That was Paul. We, we, we know Paul is this great missionary and writer of scripture and he was, but before that he was a, a violent, aggressive oppressor of God's people. And and this grace profoundly affected Paul, didn't it? It it left him amazingly grateful for what God had done for him. Am I grateful for God's saving grace? Are you grateful for God's saving grace? We we will probably confess that sometimes it's something we take for granted. Those of us who, who grew up with it, who've heard it our whole lives... But it's an amazing thing, is it not, that that God would reach down in his grace and save us and pluck us from the judgment that we deserve. Number two, Paul was grateful for ministry. Paul thinks about the ministry he's been called to, and there are three things he brings out here. First of all, Paul, Paul knew that he was not sufficient in and of himself for this ministry says at the beginning of verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength. Paul was not a man who thought too highly of himself. Before he was a believer in Jesus, children, Paul was a very proud man. Before he knew Jesus, he he considered himself a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a really, really good Jew. He considered himself as having blameless righteousness. He even says that in Philippians chapter 3. But, but not now. Paul knew that he was nothing more than an imperfect, crooked instrument in the Lord's hands. This comes across many times in his writings. Uh, if you have your Bible, go for a moment over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And notice verse 1. 
1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, I I didn't come to you with the express desire, with with the goal of showing you how smart I am. I, I didn't come to show you how eloquent I am. I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear. I came to you in much trembling. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. One book over 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look, if you will, at, at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Children, did you know that, that in Paul's day, if you had something valuable, If you had something that you would consider to be a treasure, maybe something very expensive, something rare, something that is is very important to you, something costly, you would would put it in something nice. You would would put it in something that would, would preserve your valuable treasure. You wouldn't stick it in a box. You wouldn't put it in, as Paul says here, a jar of clay. A jar of clay is something that's cheap. It's, it's something that's not very attractive. It's um, easily broken. It's, it's easily replaced. Paul's point here in 2 Corinthians is that the, the treasure that Paul is talking about is the gospel. Children, you remember the, the word gospel means good news, the good news about Jesus. It's the good news of salvation that we have in him. It's the most beautiful message, the most profound message, the sweetest message, the most valuable message that, that we or, or anyone will ever hear. Now, now, you would think that a treasure like the gospel would, would be entrusted to some really important, really well-qualified really worthy people. But instead, God has entrusted the treasure of the gospel to jars of clay. That's talking about us. We're not worthy. We're not attractive. We're, not, we're easily broken. We're easily replaced. Paul says, I- I'm just a jar of clay. And, and that's true with regard to to all who minister the gospel. It's good for pastors to remember that that we're nothing but jars of clay. Easily broken, not attractive in the eyes of the world. But that's the kind of people God has entrusted his gospel to. 
And we see this throughout the Bible. Just think of some of the people that, that the Lord has used. Abraham, he wasn't a very good person at times. Moses killed a man. David, adultery, murder. Elijah, despondent, depressed, doubts. Jonah ran the other way. Peter denied Jesus. All of them were jars of clay. There are times that that you may think to yourself, how could God use someone like me? I'm weak. I struggle with a lot of things. I have my doubts and my insecurities and my issues. I'm, I'm not the kind of person the Lord would use. You're exactly the kind of person God uses. He uses jars of clay because ultimately that's all there is, jars of clay. Paul knew who he was. Paul knew he was a jar of clay. Paul knew that if he was to serve the Lord, it could only be done in the Lord's strength. We celebrated a baptism this morning it's all, always good for us to remember as parents that we can only raise our children in God's strength. We must cry out to him often. And it's true for, for service in the church. It's true for you at work tomorrow. It's true, children, for you at school. Ask the Lord to give you strength, and he will. You and I are jars of clay, but he will give us the strength that we need. Paul knew that. Secondly, Paul also knew that God had entrusted the ministry to him. Take a look at the middle of verse 11. Paul says there that the Lord had judged him faithful. Now, we might read that at first glance. We might think it says that, that Paul was worthy of the ministry. And, and so Jesus said, man, that Paul guy is really worthy of this. I need him. I think I'll call him to this task. But, but the word faithful simply means one who is to be trusted one who has been entrusted with a calling. Paul is saying the Lord in his incredible grace has entrusted this ministry to me. Paul knew who he used to be. We'll look at that in more detail next time. He, he knew the kind of life he had lived. He knew he didn't deserve salvation. He knew he didn't deserve to be called to serve Jesus. But in God's grace... God entrusted the ministry of the gospel to another jar of clay. I, I think it's, it's incredible that the Lord would use us to, to carry out the work of his kingdom in this world. We would think he'd be better off using LeBron James or maybe the president of the United States or he'd use someone who is powerful and well-known and influential and a mover and a shaker. But he uses us. That he would choose us to bring the gospel to our children. To raise them in the faith. That he would use us to do that. It would use us to, to minister the gospel to our communities, that he would use us to serve one another and be a blessing to one another. We would think, God, there must be a better way. 
But this is what God has chosen so that he would be glorified. I'm amazed that not only would God save me from my sin, not only that he would rescue me from the judgment that I deserve, but that he would give me the privilege to, to proclaim the good news that at one point in my life I didn't believe. It's all grace. And to one degree or another, all of us have this calling here tonight. All of us are ambassadors for Christ. At home, at work, at school, at church, in our neighborhoods. And, and what the Lord requires of us is, is not great giftedness. What the Lord requires of us is that we would be faithful. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That's what God calls us to be. Faithful servants of his. Paul knew his weakness. He knew he'd been entrusted with a calling. And third, Paul knew that his ministry meant service. Service. At the end of verse 12, he writes, appointing me to service. Now, I think if I had been Paul, I, I would have been tempted to pull out my apostle card. I would have been tempted to say, Timothy, don't forget who I am. Timothy, don't forget that, that I met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Timothy, don't forget, I'm one of only 14 men in history who could be called an apostle with a capital A. Timothy, if you're tempted not to listen to me, Timothy, if you're, tempt, if, if you're tempted to think you know better than me, don't forget my credentials. But he doesn't do that. He, he simply talks about his ministry as being service. It's the, the Greek word diakonos. It's the Greek word from which we get our English word deacon. At the very heart of, of the ministry that these men have, deacons are servants. And, and we are blessed here at Zion with, with six men who serve this congregation very well. But Paul also saw himself as a diakonos. He saw himself as a servant. In the world of the New Testament, uh, a diakonos was someone who carried out the commands of a superior by serving other people. We, we might liken it today to someone who, uh, someone who waits on tables at a restaurant or someone who is a, uh, a busboy, comes along and fills up people's water and, and cleans the table after people eat. That's how Paul saw his ministry. I'm a busboy. I'm a table waiter. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you how great I am. I'm, I'm not here to tell you about all that I've done for God's kingdom. I'm here to preach Jesus to you, and I'm here to serve you. It's a good reminder for those of us who are office bearers do, do we see ourselves this way? Do, do we see ourselves as 
table waiters of Christ, servants of the congregation? Or do we try to to lord our offices over other people? Do Do we just try to get through our term of service and then let someone else do it? And this goes for all of us tonight. Do, do we see ourselves as busboys? Do we see ourselves as servants? Do we see ourselves as those who are called to use the gifts God's given us to serve this body? Our attitude should never be, who's going to serve me? Our attitude in the church should never be, what's in this for me? To use the analogy I've used before, rowing the boat, are you rowing? Are you rowing? Are you helping us to to row the boat in the same direction? Or are you sitting on the boat telling other people how to row while you yourself do nothing? Christian, When you think of how your Savior served you, how can you not serve others? And and I I preach this to myself. If, If Paul saw himself as a servant, why should I see myself any differently? Now there's more to come next time. Next time we'll we'll see how amazed Paul is at the work of Jesus. But, but two things as we close tonight. First of all, I, I pray that this passage would move each one of us to thankfulness. Jesus has been so gracious to me. Not only in, in, in saving me from sin and judgment, but also in, in then allowing me to serve others. And, and it's true for all of us. He, he has gifted us and, and equipped us and, and called us to move his kingdom forward as we serve other people. I'm amazed, as I'm sure you're amazed, that God would use a jar of clay like us. And so for, for you, believer in Christ, this is your story. This is what Jesus has done for you. Uh, secondly, though, if you're, if you're not a believer in Christ, if you're sitting here tonight and, and you deep down don't believe in Jesus, I'm glad you're here. If you're watching, I'm, I'm glad you found us. But, but don't let your sin keep you from the Savior. Don't don't think to yourself, I'm too big of a sinner. God God would never save someone like me. And don't think to yourself either, Christian, God would never use someone like me. He saved Paul. He will save anyone who comes to him in true faith. And he used Paul. And we'll see next time more about what Paul says about himself. But he used Paul. And we pray that that God from our own midst would raise up maybe young men one day 
will be called the gospel ministry. Maybe men or women who will be called to the mission field. Don't believe that God won't use you, that he can't use you. He will use you here. He will use you in your home. He will use you in your community. Yes, we are jars of clay. But we belong to God. And he will equip and call us to serve as his people. And so let Paul's story this this evening be a reminder to you of God's amazing, incredible, saving, and calling grace for you. And and may it move all of us to be thankful and to serve one another. I'm, I'm so thankful for this congregation, so thankful for your service. I I know you serve because you love Jesus. I know you serve because you love your family here at Zion. And may we continue to do it in his strength and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have saved and called jars of clay like us. We thank you that you are using us, that you will continue to use us Help us, Lord, to depend upon you and be your instruments wherever you send us. We pray in Jesus' name.